We're going to dig right in this morning. If you've got your Bibles with you, I want you to open to two places. One, Psalm 107, and then Matthew 28. We're going to pair those passages of Scripture this morning as we finally start a series that I've been kicking back a few weeks called God in the City. If you weren't here with us last weekend, I would encourage you to uh, take a listen to Gary and Paula Hayes, our missionary friends from Think Small, who left from here and went to Peru uh, to continue finding ways to see hundreds of thousands more kids come to Jesus. Um, As of now, in six countries, they've seen 256,000 kids come to Christ. Many enter into discipleship, and they're seeing good work happen In cities, and I will suggest to you this morning that a lot of good is happening in cities. Others would have suggested to you this week that Seattle is dying. Uh, Some of you may have seen the piece on Como that talked about the heroin epidemic, which is a real deal, and that's a real issue in the city, but the narrative isn't Seattle is dying. The the narrative is Seattle and Everett and other cities are are very sick. Uh, But our experiences this week in the city would suggest a very different narrative, that the city is alive and God is alive and at work in the city. And so I think this series will be well-timed. It's a narrative that we, as the body of Christ, will have to continue to contend for because everything that the enemy wants to do is to tell us that the fight is over for us, right? When the fight isn't over for the body of Christ in the city and around the world, um, the fight is over for him. And in this season before the king returns, we continue that narrative forward, not only with our words but with our actions Um, I'm excited about cities. I've had a hard time considering how to engage this series necessarily, and that's in large part because I'm still having a difficult time in my life wrapping my mind and my imagination around the context of cities. Cities are big. Cities are complex. Um, And still even today, more than a traditional lead pastor of a congregation, I consider myself to be a missionary just a little bit more than that. And the invitation to come and pastor this congregation last year really intrigued me for a couple reasons. And one is because South Everett Foursquare finds itself in the city, which is exciting for me. And secondly, uh, this is no ordinary congregation. I go around telling people that. I'm like, you got to see these people. They're not just regular churchgoers. We do that sometimes. We go to service. But you should hear about what the church is doing all week long in the place where we are. This is a congregation that keeps the center of its focus wrapped around the, the neighborhood that it's been planted in. We're always thinking about the neighborhood that we've been planted in, where we gather. And it's good for us to stop and consider the tangible presence of Jesus in the neighborhood and how not only do we present ourselves as hope to the neighborhood, but the neighborhood presents itself as hope back to us. That's what makes a relationship mutual is that both parties give there is good news there is hope in this neighborhood we just get to be a part of the hope right bubba yes sir bubba is hope to me man every time i see him adam is hope to me vaughn is hope to me every time i see these gentlemen right we're hope to one another jesus is here already we just get to be a part of what's going on And we're an urban congregation more and more. And to be urban, what does it mean to be urban? It's more of just a hipster word for a coffee shop these days. To be urban is simply to reflect the components of a city. It shows up 
when the components and the characteristics of a city, that's what makes it urban. It's the heartbeat, the narrative of the city. And cities bring people together in scary, close proximity. Some people don't like cities because of images like this. That scares some people. They want nothing to do with any of that. But cities do this. They bring people together in a scary, close type of proximities. But cities also do this. This next image we have to put up. Cities do this to people. (laughs) That one. Thank you. As much as cities bring people close together... They also create a ridiculous amount of relational isolation. Many people, although they're crowded together in cities, feel like that in cities. Cities are complex because cities are overwhelming. I have friends that won't go into cities because they feel overwhelmed by the city But the gospel has solutions for all of this stuff. It's what we'll be talking about in the weeks to come. And there's a strong temptation to run away simply because we don't understand. Or to hear narratives like Seattle is dying because of a heroin epidemic. That doesn't make us want to get closer to cities. But we have to go closer because the truth is God is alive in cities. He's alive in places that we're running from when the church gets the opportunity to run towards in the midst of it, because God developed cities. He's the one that put the idea together. There's a quote from Jarrett Stevens, who's the pastor of Soul Soul City Church in Chicago, and he says this, Fear keeps us from everything amazing that God is calling us to. Wouldn't we find that to be true? Why would fear sit between here and there? So we don't do it. And so we know that everything that God calls us into will go through the city of fear. But it's no reason to stop because the Lord says that he has prepared a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And he's with us and he will go with us as we go. Something I wrote a couple years ago about cities. I go into cities and I just ask the Lord to speak to me, to teach me, to show me. Because again, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around the complexities of this. And I wrote about fear in the city. More than turmoil in the streets, I fear the turmoil in my own soul when I think about the city and I interact with its players. The city is bigger than my ability to comprehend it or determine its outcomes. The city exposes my limitations and dependencies. The city compels me to gaze into dark alleys and dark spaces of my own soul Can I really be used to make a difference in the midst of all of this noise? The city will evoke great discouragement or it will inspire great courage. The city reflects the God who imagined it, and it's an amazing city. Like I said, I've considered myself to be a student of cities. That started 21 years ago when I left Kirkland in the suburbs and started attending Seattle's Union Gospel. No, not Seattle's Union Gospel Mission. What was it? It was Seattle Pacific University. the other Seattle institution that I'm involved with in the city. Uh, And there's still much about cities that elude me. I like going because I continue to like learning just like I like learning about God. Is there anything about the Lord that still eludes you? Is there anything that you haven't quite wrapped your mind around yet concerning the nature and the reality and the characteristics of the God who created us? It's why we spend time in the presence of God. And God made the city. 
So as we think about cities, as we explore cities, we know that God is already in the cities because it's something that he's created. It's an instrument to share the gospel with people. Cities offer systems of common grace. They offer sewer systems. Chris Goff came and shared with us about the systems that cities offer. Sewer systems, school systems, healthcare systems, transit systems. Cities offer systems for people to get around, especially for the poor. poor. The poor, the urban poor gather in cities because the Lord has provided everything we need in the cities. But it does no good if everyone who knows of the Lord runs out of the city to find comfort. Because what gets left in the city becomes a very difficult thing to deal with. And that's why people write articles like Seattle is dying. But it doesn't have to if we engage the place where God wants to transmit and send the gospel, right? I guess my love and curiosity for cities has been guided by a few different men. One, first, uh, Ray Bakke, who is a missiologist in the city. We're going to talk more about him today. We're going to talk a lot about his theories and his teachings and things that I've learned from him during this series. In fact, a lot of the content I'm borrowing from him, I'll just say that right up front. We're going to be walking through many things that I've learned in a book called the... um, Uh, theology as big as a city, and we'll get to talking about that in a minute. And the other gentleman I've learned a lot about in regards to cities is a man named Jeff Lilly, who was the president at Seattle's Union Gospel Mission and a mentor of mine, now pastoring at a church in Southern California. But as these men have helped me learn about cities over the years, I've learned that in cities we get a broader view of the work that God happens to be doing in the world. Cities introduce us to that because they're global Cities have introduced me to cities of sh- uh, to to uh, systems of shalom that we would seek the peace and prosperity of the city, and it's more than just transmitting the good news information of the gospel. That's ultimately what we're taking, but we have to take it with good social systems that go with it, good school systems, good transportation systems, good health systems. This week we visited dental clinics. There's a dental clinic in the basement of Seattle's Union Gospel Mission that's a part of the Seattle Underground, the original Seattle Underground, and there's a dental clinic down there because it's hard to communicate the truth of John 16, John 3.16, to somebody who's dealing with a tooth that needs to be extracted. Has anyone had a tooth that's ever needed to be extracted before? That's the most important thing when a tooth goes south on you. And so to communicate the full truth of the gospel, we have to say, let's fix the pain in your mouth also. Not that one is better than the other, but the two work together. And that's why it's important that cities are holistic in their approaches. Systems of shalom mean that people that we're ministering to don't have pain in their mouths. That's part of peace. That's part of prosperity in the city. And cities have convinced me that God is passionately inviting us into the adventures that he's created there for us to find. We could go right up the street all day long to North Everett and find incredible adventures in the city. We could go for a month and not be finished exploring and understanding and learning from pastors who are in downtown Everett, ministries like Millennium Ministries in downtown Everett, reaching out to people with the truth and the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Great things are happening at Everett's gospel mission, and we're hoping to continue to build relationships there over time. It's an incredible thing, the city 
And this book, as I mentioned, The Theology as Big as the City, is going to help direct our messages. It's written by a gentleman, like I said, Ray Bakke, a man that I've had a chance to spend some time with. Ray grew up in Saxton, Washington, which is right at the base of Mount Baker. And there isn't a more rural place than Saxton, Washington, if you've ever been up there in the valleys and the hills with the mountains and the cattle. And after he finished growing up in this farm town, he attended Seattle Pacific College at the time, and he pastored in Seattle until 1960. Something happened in Seattle in 1960. When a government defense contract was rescinded from Boeing, and on one day, 63,000 people lost their jobs in the city. And this sign went up, this billboard went up. Will the last person leaving Seattle please turn out the lights? That's part of our narrative as we seek to understand what's happened in our context, not just down in Renton in Seattle, but I'm sure it impacted Everett, impacted this area. There's families here that have parents and grandparents that were impacted by that. When 63,000 people left in Ray Bakke's congregation went bye-bye because people were relocated to the south and couldn't be here anymore. But even that, the Lord used Ray's life because moving from an area like Seattle, where he pastored a little church, the Lord called Ray Bakke to inner city Chicago in 1965 in the middle of the race riots when the city of Chicago, the city of Los Angeles, both cities were burning down. Churchgoers who had been in the cities forever were fleeing the cities for the suburbs because it was more comfortable. It was a place that we didn't have to engage all the challenges that cities produce. But when we don't engage the challenges, we don't get the benefits either. But Ray took his wife and his young kids and they moved into inner city Chicago where he raised his family. When he got into his neighborhood of one square mile, he realized that there were more than 60 different nations represented in that neighborhood. In the schools alone, the Chicago public schools, there were, there were schools that taught in 11 different languages. That pales in comparison to the number of languages that were spoken, but the Chicago public schools were teaching in 11 different languages. And one night, Ray was coming home from pastoring the church he was in, and he smelled some gas. He went over and found out that the pilot light on his stove had gone out. He went to turn the pilot light back on, and the explosion, because of the gas in the house, exploded 50 feet out his dining room window uh, and sent him flying where he landed in a hospital. He had two doctors. One was a doctor from China who had gone to Korea, who had come to Chicago, The other was from Cuba who had sold the two hospitals that he owned to buy plane tickets to flee from Castro and come to Chicago. And while they're pulling dead parts of skin off of Ray's body, he's listening to this doctor from Asia and this doctor from Cuba talk about this crazy place that he landed in Chicago. And they said, isn't this the promised land? And he thought, my goodness, does God know what's happening? happening here have we ever asked ourselves that question god do you have do you know are you do you see this is there answers to this and it threw ray into a bit of a faith crisis because he got to a point where he said either god knows about this and the bible has answers for it or god isn't real and based on his experiences in the city he went back to the scriptures and found an urban theology from Genesis to Revelation 
that proves that God loves cities. And he says, we'll just start here. The Bible started in a garden of Eden, and it ends in a city called New Jerusalem. And if you don't like the, if you don't like cities, you don't like the fact that God is moving towards cities, you better get used to your new reality because God uses cities. Cities are referenced in scripture more than 1250 different times. It's fantastic what God is doing in cities. And the enemy would want nothing more than to tell us that cities are dangerous and cities are dying and we should stay away from them. The enemy would want nothing more than that. But 19 people from this congregation and a few others this month have spent time in cities this week. And next week, you're going to get a chance to hear testimonies from them up here. They don't know that yet. They're going to come up and share next week. But they're going to tell us about the goodness of God in the city. That might be more scary for some of you than going downtown with us this last two weeks. Um, But you're going to hear about these realities because they're the realities that this neighborhood gets to engage. Not has to deal with, gets to engage with. It's all about the way that we frame it in our minds. And God's got an incredible imagination, not just for Pioneer Square, not just for Rainier Valley. But Casino Road, he's already doing it. We just get to jump in and play with him. Because of faithful families, like the McMorris family, has been on this road forever with Casino Road Kids Ministries. Raising up little itty-bitty kids that turn into young adults like Bubba. And so many others. Raising up another generation just like Think Small was talking about. We start with kids. We show them that the Lord wants to use them to bring the gospel. And look out. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a divine ambush. It's going to get scary along the way. The Lord's only showing us the exciting part, so we'll get out of the boat and go. But we're together, so we'll get through it. Right, Robert? All right. It's all good. Does God know what's happening in cities? This is what we want to talk about for the next few weeks. And this morning I want to discuss specifically the realities the challenges and the opportunities that are connected to this globe of ours that happens to be in motion. This world is moving at an exponential pace from rural realities to urban realities. And to answer Ray's question, no, God is not surprised by this. And so we can lean into this work with him. And so our goal today specifically, not for the whole series, but today is to connect God's design and intention with cities, for cities, in the Old Testament with current realities of what God is doing in the New Testament and with the Great Commission, right? Psalm 107, Matthew 28, these things will connect. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about some of the challenges that we're facing. Our hope is that we would get over, if we're dealing with any fear that's in us, that we would move from fear towards inspiration in hopes of discipling the nations, right? Moving from fear towards inspiration in the hope of discipling the nations. But some of these challenges that we face, the first challenge, and these are the challenges that Ray lays out in his book, A Theology as Big as a City, is the urban challenge. He did some studying to find out that in 1900, 119 years ago, 8% of the world lived in cities. By 2000, 19 years ago, that number had increased to 50% of the world living in cities. That number continues to increase and increase and increase. 
People are coming to cities. You see it when you go downtown Seattle. Still leads the nation. 68 cranes erected building buildings in the city. It's happening in Everett very, very quickly. Things are happening in Everett right now that we need to pay attention to because Payne Field just opened up commercial flights that zip up and down the West Coast. Today, March 24th, 2019, Sound Transit opened the Swift Line. It's a green line that runs from Aurora Village at 205th up 99 to Pacific. The, that's the blue line. We've been studying this this week. The green line runs up Bothell Everett Highway from Canyon Park, passes Payne Field, and makes its way up to Boeing. If you don't think that lines that will move people through this neighborhood to the airport where they zip up and down the West Coast and airplanes won't change the dynamic of this area and grow this area, you've got something else coming. It may take a decade, but if we get ahead of it, we can help with challenges that that will create in this space. We can't stop it. We can't fix it. And in fact, I would argue that this kind of growth is good for cities when we take care of those who already live there. Right? So we get to, God put us here to be a part of that. Isn't that incredible that we get to grow the gospel as the God that created us grows the city? Amen? Isn't that exciting? Don't you all want to quit your jobs and just do this with me all the time? Write support letters. We can start a whole thing. (laughs) Some of you might do it. That's why I said it. It's no joke. A couple words I want to help us with this morning. One that Ray teaches is the word urbanization. We've already talked about the word urban, meaning to just reflect the characteristics and the components of a city. But this word urbanization, Ray talks about it's the way that we measure cities, urbanization. When the world is urbanizing, we're measuring the growth, the size, the density, like that packed-in sidewalk that you see in New York City where 8, 9 million people are packed into an area that's smaller than downtown Seattle. Wow, right? From Green Lake all the way to Boeing, 8 million people packed in. It's incredible how close cities bring people together and how far they push them apart. But it's also measuring the diversity of a city, the state of being diverse. How many people from how many nations are just here, from how many different backgrounds and religious belief systems? Urbanization is the magnet function that draws people towards the city. It's exciting. As things grow, people want to go see Funko in downtown Everett. This shop, right? This is important. This is up here for a reason, because this is an indication that the city that we're serving is changing. It's getting hip. Anyone been to Narrative Coffee? Everett's getting kind of hip. It's growing, and we're here, and we get to engage the neighborhood as it grows. Urbanism is the development of city as a process. So not so much the characteristics or the measuring of size or diversity, but that has to do with the values, the things that a city produces, the lifestyles. That's urbanism. It's that the city's getting hip. It's pushing values. Not every value do we affirm, but every value we need to get very close to, to influence with the hope of the gospel. No more time to run away from it. 
Time to get up real close next to it and engage it with the hope of the gospel. Amen? That's the urban challenge. The numbers challenge is simply this, that since 2000, more than a billion people have been added to this planet that weren't here 20 years ago. Guess what? That's going to happen again and again. That's how exponential growth happens fast and up. And what's interesting is where that growth is shifting from. It's no longer over in the European, Western European range. That's not where the growth is exploding. It's not in the Middle East. It's not where it's exploding. Most of that growth is happening on the Pacific Rim, in East Asia, all the way up down the coast. Guess where we live? On the Pacific Rim. Most of this growth is happening in those areas. The urbanization, the urbanism, and just all the numbers. That's where people are going to. And we live right in the midst of it. The challenge of migration. This one's super fascinating. We're not simply a world of nations anymore that you have to go to the different nations to meet all the people. Ray says, that we. I love the way he says this, we have become a world of interconnected multinational cities. Interconnected multinational cities. That's had a major impact on the way the church must think about missions. Because we don't have to travel across the planet anymore to meet people. We stay in our own zip code. 98118, where the women's team stayed last week or two weeks ago. In South Seattle, 98118 is the most diverse zip code in the United States. You get there on a train from downtown and you feel like you've landed in another nation and you have. Because nations are people, not places. People. Culture. The rest of it's just land. For the most part, all the land around the earth is kind of the same. We can go places all around the world that have way different cultures and the same kind of land and trees. Right? Nations are made of people because God's not ultimately saving the land. Right? He's saving the people. Nations are people, and the people are moving. It's happening in my neighborhood. It's been happening in my neighborhood for a long time. Case in point, the house next to ours is owned by a woman in Turkey. She's never actually lived in the house, but she owns the house. She's from Turkey. For a while, we had friends who lived there. Our friends that lived there, he was from Philadelphia, but she was from Costa Rica and had never come to Seattle. That was a rough winter for her when they moved here from Florida. He's from Philadelphia. She's from Costa Rica. Across the top of our street lives families from Ethiopia, from Eritrea, and Egypt. Bing, bang, boom. North Africa going right across the top of our street. The Ethiopian family bought the house from a young family who were first-generation migrants from Poland and Mexico. Those two married each other. (laughs) So Cruz is learning three languages right now as a seventh grader. Because he's the first one born here. Half Mexican, half Polish. What an incredible thing the Lord is up to. It's incredible. Beyond that, I was recently invited to go sit with a family across the street from us whose father was in a crisis. And I got to go and sit. And they're in a crisis. When I'm in a crisis, I'm not offering guests to come into my home, usually. The neighbors, I'm trying to... We're all like this. Sometimes I just need to do my own thing in my own language right now because I'm in crisis. In the midst of their crisis, they invited me in and made me Indian tea and cookies. And then we just sat there for an uncomfortably long amount of time. But that culture 
knows how to sit better than we do in the West. The nations are right here. I'm a minority on my own street. Isn't that amazing? I hope more people find it amazing instead of moving out to places that look more like themselves. All right? We get to instigate that. That's the challenge of migration, the challenge of church structure. Although we will always keep the basic tenets here, I've told you that. It's our commitment. We will never stop preaching the word of God. We will never show up here on a Sunday and not worship the Lord and sing praises unto his name. We will not stop doing those things. We will not stop being good stewards of the finances of the things that God has given us. We will not stop hanging out together. And we will not stop eating together. Right? Taco Palm Sunday, very first one, three weeks from now, I think. Tocolene, what you bringing? We'll eat together. None of that's going to change. We're not going to stop preaching the word of God and teaching it and modeling it with our lifestyles off of this street. We will keep the heart of evangelism at the baseline of what this congregation does. But church structure, the form, has to adapt to what Ray calls the pluralized kaleidoscope of 24-7 cities that never stop. What we do will never change. How we do it must always be changing. Congregations must find ways to engage with local ministries like Casino Road Kids Ministries and Hand in Hand, but we also have to figure out how to engage with the Everett Clubhouse, which is secular, but when people come to find the hope of Jesus because some of the church went into that place, to engage with people that many are running away from because they don't know how to deal with the challenges associated with mental illness. We get to learn how, and we get to run towards it. And then the church is there, right? We get to do those things. We just have to think differently about it. We're having tons of conversations as the leadership team about what this congregation is supposed to look like. And we're unique. Like I said, this is just a little bit different. We're not normal. I like that we're not normal. And normal's okay. I'm not dissing normal because normal supports this tremendously. So we can be abnormal. Right? But Chris and I were meeting for breakfast the other morning. We're like, well, New Life is already right up the street. And it's important that New Life is up the street because it's reaching tons of people. And Mill Creek Foursquare is right down the street. And it's good that it's there because it's reaching lots of people and supporting us so that we can do what we do. But we're not supposed to just become like them. They already exist. Let's be us. Let's be this congregation that just gets to be very, very missional in sending people out to be pastors and teachers and police officers in a congregation that says, let me tell you about our church. And, oh, that's right. We also meet on Sundays for a little bit. Like, that's the kind of church I want us to be. And we won't stop meeting on Sunday mornings because it's essential that we meet to praise and worship the Lord. Because in our strength, this is over already. Right? In his strength. So we meet, we gather here, and then for the other 166 hours, we'll do things off this campus. I love that this. there's no evidence of this by 2 p.m. today. This is gone again. The church is scattered. It gathers and then it's scattered and there's no evidence of us left. That's the church structure stuff. We'll get to the other ones later because we've got to get to the Bible. <clears throat> there's two more. The challenge of funding and a need for an urban theology. We've talked about that a little bit already. Psalm 107. 
Because Ray Bakke had to go to his scripture in the middle of a city where nations weren't sitting put. It's like trying to keep your ducks in a row, and the ducks were moving. They were just moving. And he said, does God know what's happening? It's important that we grapple with matters of faith. On the Urban Plunge yesterday, there was 11 of us that sat around the table, the third floor of the shelter, and one member on the team went to places that he had never gone in terms of grappling with his faith and the challenges of the city. And he got angry a little bit, and that was okay. Because he was grappling with these issues instead of running away from it. It's the same thing that Ray did where he said, either God is in this and I'm going to wrestle with him until I figure it out or I'm walking away. Good thing that Ray wrestled with this because the work that has happened in the city of Chicago and in 200 cities around the world on urban plunges that Ray has led, he grappled with his faith and he got stronger in it. And so Ray turned to the book of Psalms, and in Psalm 107, he found something that had always been there every time that he'd read it, but he just kind of, you know, didn't have eyes for it because he wasn't aware of the problems that this was answering. So he didn't know it was an answer because he didn't have a question for it yet. Psalm 107, God demonstrates his propensity to rescue people in greatest need, in seasons of great distress and great despair. This psalm was a gift of hope to the exiles in Babylon. We've been talking a lot about exiles in Babylon. It was most likely penned during their return to Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity. That's the context for this. This is a psalm written to those who had been scattered away and then returned. They were in exile and had returned. In this psalm, the Lord is redeeming his people and he's moving them from a desert to a city that they would dwell in and be blessed by. That's God's intention for cities. And Ray's wondering about this. He's studying the context for which it was written, but the word is living and active. So although we do not remove it from the context I just shared with you, it was written for this. But it's living and active, and it applies to today. So here Ray is in Chicago, in a place where people won't stop coming from every corner of the globe. And he reads Psalm 107, beginning in verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. This is written to a people migrating from the desert to the city after 70 years of captivity. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, in the north and the south. Say it again. Those he gathered from the lands, from the east and the west, the north and the south, some wandered in a desert wasteland finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Any evidence in the news that that's been reality in the last 12 months for anyone on the planet? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. He gave, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. Just let that soak in for a minute. The Lord knows when we look at the problems that exist within the context of our world today, He knows. He's given us answers. He's prepared cities. But 
he's prepared the cities and then he prepared a group of people to go help in the city. He's like, fellas, <laughs> fellas, ladies, let's go. Hey, come on. Hey, y'all hanging out in the suburbs too much. It's okay to go rest for a while, but come on back. Come on back to the plan the Lord intended for the salvation of the nations. Come back to it. Engage with it. Learn its story. Time Magazine, you might have seen this article, Zach, if you could put that picture up. This was February 11th in the Time Magazine, 2019. I pulled a few different parts of this article talking about global migration patterns. Isn't it interesting that Ray wrote this book in 1999 about, hey, guess what, the nations are going to be on the move? And then 20 years later, Time's writing an article that says, hey, go, what, but they, the nations are on the move. This is a fascinating article. If you're interested in it, email me at chris at southeverett.org, and I, I'll send you the PDF of this article. It's fascinating because even though it doesn't know what's talking about discipleship, this article is talking about discipleship. It's talking about the global migration patterns all over the world. And it says, we are now living in a global society increasingly roiled by the challenges that can neither be defined nor contained by physical barriers. We're dealing with challenges that are bigger than the barriers we can create. Over the past quarter century, our world has experienced an unprecedented explosion in global migration. Good call, Rebaki. Today there are 258 million international immigrants living outside of their country of birth. 258 million. Were the world's total population of international immigrants in 2018 gathered from the places where they had sought new lives and placed under one flag, they would be the fifth largest country in the world. Wow! Isn't that incredible? In a changing world, many of the international migrants arriving at the U.S. borders no longer fit neatly in any legal category. The Cold War refugee protocols are silent about migrants fleeing violence, corruption, or hunger so severe that kids wake up at night crying. The question now is whether the world can come to define the enormous population of international migrants as an opportunity and not a threat. That makes my hair stand up on my arms because this is a call from Time Magazine to the local church. Can the world... Answer this question. Can we answer it? We get to be a part of this. We are already getting to be a part of this. And we can't solve it all. Part of my recovery process working on this week, not trying to be everybody's best friend at the mission. A couple years ago, I tried to be every one of those dudes' best friends. And I, you know, and I, just, I just can't do that. It's not good for me. It's not good for you. So we're going to do our part. The Lord gave us this neighborhood. Not a whole lot different than the neighborhood Ray was in 50 years ago. We get to be a part of it. The Bible has written us plans. Men and women who have gone before have said, hey, here's a practice that you may want to put into play. Psalm 107. Guess what? The countries are moving. Ray knew it 20 years ago. God knew it 2,000 years ago. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make 
disciples of all nations, all the nations, baptizing them. Yeah, I made it easy to you. I just moved North Africa on your street, Chris Pepper. This is not hard work. You don't need plane tickets and lots of money to do this. Just go meet your neighbors. They're at the mailbox. They're at the park. It's part of the reason why this congregation is going to have lots of extra programs to keep you busy. Because God wants you in your neighborhood. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. When asked about the most important verb in verse 19... Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. We often get focused on the wrong part of the verse. We get focused on the going. Go, 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 go. And we go, and we go, and we go. When we set up church programs, and we set up really cool things to do, and parties, and mission trips, and we do a lot of going, and sometimes we forget about the making of disciples. The imperative verb in verse 19 is make disciples. Go, interestingly enough, was inferred. Jesus had already spent three years teaching his disciples that they should be on the go. If they had Fitbits, the disciples, (laughs) they love Fitbit competitions running around. It's crazy, Fitbits. The going was implied. Jesus had them on the go all the time. Urban plunges. Amen. Every guy will tell you. Every woman will tell you. that, that We were going. We were going. 18 hours a day we were going. But yesterday we went to ice cream and started making some disciples. Because conversations with people who are fighting for their lives are quite interesting. Great conversations. Great imagination is happening. I was on the, the front of the boat looking back up to right under the captain's thing, you know, where it says, like, Wenatchee Ferry and all the rest of that. Five dudes lined up yesterday afternoon just gazing at the city because they'd never seen it from that place before. They'd only seen the ugly part of the city. They got to see the beautiful part of what God had created. That's disciple-making when it's followed up with biblical teaching. To sit in Occidental Park for ten minutes and do some biblical teaching on the way to the ferry. Making disciples as we go. Make disciples. This will be a disciple-making congregation. It is already a disciple-making congregation. Brenda and half of us are over there on the other side making disciples right now. Teaching kids the word of God. Teaching kids how to engage with younger kids. And make disciples, not just be entertained. That's happening already because thanks to everyone here. We have this great opportunity together to imagine greater strategies for discipleship amongst the nations. We get to do that together. The nations aren't merely coming. The nations are here. The nations are brimming with young people with unfathomable dreams. Mr. Venture Capitalist in the making, I brag on you all the time because we got kids right here that want to know more about Jesus and can teach us about reaching this neighborhood as we work together as one family to create great dreams to do great things. Geo, you're a part of that. God brought you to be a part of that. Not some side part, but like 
Come on, show us how to do this. Once you learn anything about economics, you'll be better than me at that because it's just not my gig. The nations are brimming with unfathomable dreams and they're sitting here in this room. Let's imagine these innovative strategies and put the gospel to work in new ways. Mm. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have created cities. Lord, we pray for anyone who watched a thing on the news last week and got a little bit more discouraged. We pray that that flooding this neighborhood again back into workplaces where 19 people going back to work tomorrow can tell different narratives about cities. Or do something great with us. Not, Not so we can be great, but that you can be great. That we would simply do your work and people would point at you to say, look at how great that God is. Take us out of the way. Remove us remove from us any pride any sense of we got this or we got nothing but you or thank you for the work that you did this week thank you for the work you did in us thank you for the men in recovery that prayed over us thank you for the man on the doorstop on second avenue that commissioned us by prayer into the work that we were doing because you live with the poor. You got up off the curb and came and you were with us and you commissioned us. Lord, commission us again. Do it over and over and over. Last week was one trip, this week's another. Back into our places of vocation, back into our places of work, back into Boeing, back into Microsoft, back into electrical companies, back into the schools, driving buses, building houses, running shipyards. On the school campuses. Have your way in us. Chris is going to pray us out. And 1311 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you today, tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen. You've been listening to a podcast from South Everett Foursquare Church. For more information about us, please visit us online at www.southeverett.org.